Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, angels and demons, about the servants to Brothers of the Serpent podcast, coming to you not live from the 10 by 10 by 10 tangent cube of science, nestled amongst the dusty bones of an ancient seabed, high atop the Edwards Plateau. And uh, we got uh, wine updates. Oh, it's uh, settling nicely. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Well, it's going through malolactic fermentation slowly and... Uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll it'll get done, so we can you know, put the uh, sulfur dioxide in it and kill everything. <laughs> we talked about pressing it last time, right? I'm trying to remember. I think. Oh, uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, we we pressed it all off, and uh, now we got anything. Yeah, I think we talked about. It. We got it in these big tanks. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's still going through these secondary fermentation which is a lot slower and this is a more uh a touch and go dangerous part because the wine is more it's able to you can get it can go bad basically yeah. you can get microbial spoilage, spoilage and yeah. oxidation and all this kind of stuff right now it's we're still waiting on the barrel delivery when the barrels get here we'll be able to put it into the barrels top them all the way up and then there won't be any risk of you know, getting more dissolved oxygen into it. Right now yeah. they're in big plastic tanks. Um, and they, you know, there's airspace in the top of those tanks that they're huge. So it's not that big of a deal, but you don't want them in there for a long time. It's yeah. okay to settle in there. We got variable capacity tanks, um, but they're, you know, just big round steel Cylinders. tanks. Yeah. And so the lid, you know, there's just airspace on top. Whereas in a barrel, when the barrel's laying on its side, you fill it all the way up and it comes all the way up to the to the bung. The bung hole, which is two inches in diameter. Yeah. That's the only surface. Surface area, yeah. That's exposed to oxygen. And you put the you put the bung in it and it and that airspace is tiny compared to the volume of the wine. So you're both protected with the barrel against oxidation. And then of course once the lactic acid bacteria is done converting the malic to uh, lactic acid, then then we can put the SO2 in it, and then we can go on vacation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what we're waiting for. <laughs> so this week we have a we had a really long and excellent conversation with the with the guys from Conspire Normal uh, about all kinds of topics, and also the online Strange Realities conference that they've got coming up. <clears throat> And it was a really good conversation, uh, so we'll get into that. But first, Space Weather News! That's right! Space Weather News! <laughs> From spaceweather.com. The old 
Well, the brand new Space Weather News music got the boot. <laughs> back to the drawing board. Back to the drawing board. Back to the old. Didn't cut the mustard. <laughs> so I think this is a, a piece of a larger story, so people might want to check it out. But it says, the Carrington event was not unique. It might be time to rewrite the history books. New research shows that the Carrington event, a monster solar storm that hit Earth 161 years ago this week, might not be as unique as previously thought. Historical documents from East Asia suggest that Carrington events, plural, have happened many times before and probably will again. And then they have a link to the full story. So go check that out at spaceweather.com. And they also say that for the fifth straight day Arctic auroras, Arctic skies aren't blue anymore. They are blue-green. With the fading of the summer sun, the auroras are showing themselves in the midnight sky. Uh, they have some good photographs here. And people are saying it is a pleasure to greet the auroras again. Finally, the sky is dark enough and the clouds disappeared to reveal the beautiful lights. And this has been going on for five straight days. Uh, Earth's magnetic field has been rumbling since August 28th. Uh, says Green, who operates a sensitive magnetometer in his backyard to monitor geomagnetic activity. Man. Cool. One of those. Yeah. He says, this is a result of Earth entering and progressing through a fast-flowing solar wind stream. It is always so fascinating to see the effects of solar weather directly for myself down here at ground level from my home in the UK. Uh, yeah, that's Earth, cool. Yeah. Earth is still inside the stream, which is flowing from a northern hole in the sun's atmosphere. And Arctic sky watchers should be alert for more blue-green on September 2nd. So... Current conditions, solar wind speed is 463.5 kilometers per second, and the density is 4.9 protons per cubic centimeter. Yeah, that's pretty low. Yeah. Uh, no sunspots right now. Sunspot number is zero. Ah. Yeah, for 12 days. So we've had a stretch of 12 spotless days. Hmm. And we're down to 68% of 2020 total spotless days. And let's see, the neutron count today is 9% plus, so rated as high over the maximum 11.7%. It seems pretty stable, that measurement. Yeah. Yeah. And the graph here is showing, you know, it's kind it's of stable. Hanging out up there. Yeah. 2019 looks relatively stable. 2015, it was all the way down to close to negative 5%. Hmm. And in 2010... It was all the way up at the max. That was the max point, 11.7. Okay. So, there we go. That's your Space Weather News update, people. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we're going to go ahead and jump into this conversation we have with the guys from Conspiranormal. Yeah, and Russ told me to hit the record button right when we got on the call. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we talked about a whole bunch of stuff that is not on the show. So we're just kind of jumping in in the middle of the conversation when we get down to the Snake Bros topics. That's right. Yeah, uh, so that's what you get. That's right. We had to delete all of their crap out of the first part of the show. It was just total crap, guys. <laughs> censorship. Full censorship here on Brothers of the Serpent Podcast. <laughs> Hope you enjoy the conversation.
guys think about archaeological hoaxes? Uh, usually when I find out they were a hoax, I'm like, all right, moving on, you know. Uh, I'm not interested in them. I'm, uh, usually they're disappointing. So, <clears throat> but yeah, I do come across them. And also, uh, it's hard to tell, you know, because I think that there are a lot of things called hoaxes that may not have been hoaxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very difficult for me to tell uh, which ones are and which ones aren't. Now, obviously, there's some that are clear hoaxes, but there's this battle. Like, anytime you have something that seems to be totally out of place, it's called a hoax. And then, uh, so there's a... And I, I'm more of a collector of, you know, the out-of-place artifacts. Like, those are the things that I'm really interested in, the real ones. Mm-hmm. And so many, and pretty much all of them are called hoaxes in one way or another. Somebody's called every single one of them a hoax, right? <clears throat> and so what I usually see is the tendency for people to take things that don't make sense in the standard model and call them a hoax. And so... Uh, if, you know, when it comes to actual hoaxes, if it turns out that that's what it is, I'm just like, all right, I'll move on from this. Cause it isn't interesting to me because it, it isn't a real archeological artifact. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I'm kind of the opposite because <laughs> I want to know, well, what's the story with it? And like, why would someone create this hoax? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's interesting for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> And like uh, Adam has witnessed, he might want to relay this story. Like he's he's witnessed like actual trade of these type of objects that are pretty obvious hoaxes before. Yeah, this was interesting, guys. Um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll tell the story. I, I think I've I think I've told it on Where Did the Road Go one time. Um, just to uh, you know, names there will be no names to protect the guilty. Right. So. <laughs> Um, Just so I was at a conference, uh, about four years ago, a little over four years ago. And there was a gentleman there that came up from Mexico. He was American, at least he seemed to be. And he had his son with him and he came up from Mexico and he was at this conference and he had all these different, like, um, figurines look like he called them artifacts, things that were just spread out all over this table. And so my old co-host Luke was with us at, at this conference and he went up and he looked at the table and he goes back to me and he says, Adam, he says, this is weird, man, because like this guy's telling me that he was telling me that he gets all this stuff from just right outside his house where he like, you know, he he lives in some kind of area that's got all these artifacts and he picks them up just daily. And uh, but the, what the weird thing was, is that what Luke said was that I saw a, a character that I saw in like a meme from last year. OK. Now, keep in mind, he's got, like, his, like, teenage son with him this entire time, right? Yeah. So, he may not know what that character is, but his son was, might have been tasked to carve one of these things <laughs> and, and did and made it into this character, which obviously is a character from the 20-teens and not from, like, you know, ninth century Mexico. <laughs> and... uh so I was like, okay, that's interesting. So a couple of days go by and we're still at the conference and there was a, um, 
rather well-known person. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know if you've had this person on your show, but uh, but we have had this person on our show. And, you know, you've only got about 300 and something shows to go look and to scour to figure this out if you really want. <laughs> um, so he was there speaking at this conference and I, he goes over and he starts and goes, goes and talks to this guy and there, he's looking at all these quote unquote artifacts talking to the dude. And then all of a sudden the guy just like, they do some kind of business with each other. The guy leaves and pack starts packing up to drive back to Mexico. Okay. Wow. And, uh, this is pretty much the other side of the, the this is pretty much closer to the Canadian border than it is to the Mexican border. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, so that tells you how, how far this guy traveled to get to yeah. where he was. So I go and talk to the conference organizers and I said, you know, that was really weird. Like, what's up with that guy? Why? And I told them actually what Luke said. And, and, and they were like, oh, well, he's here every year that we've done this conference. He comes, he waits for this person uh, to give to, to look at his artifacts and the guy buys them. And then he goes back on his way to Mexico. Wait, he buys all of them. He guys buys. I'm not sure if it's all of them, but okay. it was at least a good amount of them. Yeah. I think the figure that I was told was like ten thousand dollars. Wow. And so this person uh, buys these things from him, and I really don't know what the motive is for buying them. Whether he actually believes that these are actual artifacts. Or whether he's in some way trying to just buy them to take them off the market. Yeah. Uh, the motivation is unclear. But I thought it was very strange. And actually, I forgot about it until um, Serfiel and I were talking one day about he was telling me about all the kind of studies that he was doing on people back in the you know, 19th and 19th century faking artifacts. Yeah. And when he said that, I was like, wait a minute. I saw this go down just like a few years ago and so it was just interesting that actually interesting. That, when we've done recording i can actually tell you who i can tell yeah, you who it was if that, you want that but. actually sounds well like a drug deal <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah it's possible that it could be well like indiana, indiana jones be. is just gonna bust through any minute and yeah maybe there's maybe there's, some, <laughs> maybe there's some uh maybe there's some cocaina in those in those <laughs> well figurines. yeah so well, well what i was actually thinking is that you know fake ones are a great cover for a real one you got a whole car full of fake crap but there's one real artifact in there that's what the dude's really buying uh, and the cover is is okay. all this fake crap that uh, isn't illegal because it's fake, right? I don't know. There's plenty of I ways. I can see something like that. Yeah, like that's, you know, that's yeah. a that's a good point. We yeah. actually talked a little bit last night about um, just a little bit with the guys that are in the conference. Uh, we we talked with um, I think David Metcalf brought up the hot whole Hobby Lobby stuff. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that about them like illegally selling artifacts from Iraq. I heard of that. Never looked into it. Yeah. 
Wait yeah, they're like really, you know, they're really big fundamentalists, and uh, they were hoarding and purchasing um, some of these stolen artifacts, probably from uh, the chaos, you know, in Iraq mm-hmm. when the museum was overtaken and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, but like the thing that really fascinates me though is like what what value would something like this have, right? And it also reminds me of like the the meta materials idea. Uh, in you in, in ufology, you know these yep. these weird um, materials that you know supposedly have extraterrestrial origin, and just that I think there's always been this like illicit trade in this stuff because within them, well, first of all, they could just be like investments because you can always find someone probably to buy it from you. Yep. And maybe stories are made and like a, the story comes along with the artifact and, you know, you can do things like, uh, well, I guess you can't, it's not as easy to like create a religion anymore. Like some of my ancestors <laughs> did with uh, some of their try. forgeries, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, like maybe there's a, there's some kind of like weird value in them and that you could, um, you could flip them like, yep. Maybe, you know, you pick it up from the guy from Mexico for $2,000, but you know, this other collector or sucker who you could, you know, sell it to, you know, individually for five, $10,000. And maybe they go around like that. Or, um, you know, maybe the person with the right story has to find the right artifact to, uh, to kind of weave their little thing. And, uh, it's just, it's really fascinating to me. Um, and there, there's this book called the enigmatist that I'm trying to track down. Uh, the, the, and there's another book called the, um, solving the Beale ciphers by this guy, Paul G Stewart. They're both self-published. So they're really hard to find. Uh, I don't think solving the Beale ciphers is though, but, um, he talks about the Kennington runestones and like connects it to these, uh, these Masonic groups. And yep. he thinks it's like this elaborate, uh, Masonic uh, way of, um, I guess, like transmitting these different ciphers and telling their own little story to each other. So stuff like that is interesting. I think mm-hmm. it's the wasn't the Bat Creek Stone the one with the the Hebrew on it supposedly. Yeah, like I it's think so. Name, it was, it's like was, the same inscription that's in like uh, Mackey's Encyclopedia of Freemasonry or something like that. Uh, so I think there's there's definitely some Masonic stuff too. And just yeah, like those yes. new Atlantean ideas. And yeah. so the, the hoaxes almost like fascinate me more than a lot of the real stuff. It, it, it's almost <laughs> kind of like they're trying to like backdate their history onto the ancient world in a certain, in a certain way. Like, you know, what Sergio was talking about, uh, Haywood before this idea that, that it was actually people of European descent, blah, 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 that were here first. It wasn't the Indians and or the native Americans. Uh, but it's almost like in a certain way that they're trying to like kind of backdate the presence of, of the Europeans are, but it, but more specifically, uh, masonry yeah. too. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I just find it. I mean, if you want somebody to have been here before the native Americans, well, they would be here 10,000 or more years ago. So calling them Europeans is kind of silly in the first place. I think, you know, it's, it's just like, who are we even talking about that long ago? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's so when because we ca- the Europeans weren't even the Europeans. Back <laughs> yeah, then. It's like, right. When we're looking at this stuff, we, you know, it, to, to us, what matters is what they were doing, not who necessarily they were, I guess. I, if, yeah, you know, if, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, I'm just, we're, we're more interested in their, 
and whoever it was, we're, what we're interested in is what uh, what did they know? Why did they build these things? What were they for? And how did they do it? And what was the level of their te- technology? technology? So yeah. when it looks like there may have been communication across vast oceans, that suggests higher technology than what standard model archaeologists and historians give them credit for. Yeah, whoever they were. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. That's, that's well, and within those within those structures is it's obvious that they uh, would have to know so many of these uh, geometric um, and mathematical concepts yes. and astronomical concepts. So if you think about like those first sur- sur- surveyors who are mostly masons uh, going out across the land, finding these places, measuring them, recognizing all of the mathematics it's easy to see though where they could be like you know and yeah. and and the people the, that we the modern native they were around not not understanding that stuff to be like holy shit this is some part of what i am a part of yes yeah. but i mean it, that that's sort of happened everywhere like you know yeah. people people societies think that they're really advanced and then they go and they find these giant triangles made out of stone and they're like holy <laughs> crap people knew yeah. people knew more than we did a long time ago. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, I see your point that they, they would associate that knowledge with their own fraternity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they may theorize that like, hey, okay, did the Masons come here a long, long, long time ago? Time ago? Yeah. yeah. Or at and least because there's the so ideas? much stuff in the Masonic mythology about the antediluvian world. It's yeah. like, oh, wow, this is the lost civilization. Right. So what's wrong with like, that? I mean, to, to me, that's that's I think that's a really interesting thing to look at. Like maybe that yeah. knowledge that that is the foundation of the of the Masonic uh, traditions was worldwide long right. before these modern Masons came and, and found it here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and those are all the questions. It's a lot bigger. The picture is a lot bigger. And there's a lot of ways to think about it, um, but the the past just stains um, stains everything. You know? Yeah, so. and there's just you know there are assholes everywhere, right? Yeah. And some, all it takes is a few people to really they can really screw stuff up. And like so, like earlier we were talking about the, you know the destruction of archaeological sites, and uh, I I really don't like that. You know I read about it sometimes, and especially when it's happening now. But the farther back you go, the less I, I mean, I still don't like it, you know, the farther back in time you go, like, so that's 200 years ago, some site was destroyed or 400 years ago, some site. I mean, that's, that, it's only very recently that, <clears throat> that this kind of stuff has been yeah, preserved, you know, where people kind of, I mean, archaeology is a young science. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and really that the, the history of well, the known history of the world is destruction of ancient sites or people living on time. I mean, we find it. You know, you find a city and it's actually stacks and stacks and stacks of cities and habitation yeah. sites going back 10,000 years. Yeah. And the people that lived there 5,000 B.C. did not care about the stuff that was left there by the people that lived there 8,000 B.C. unless they could use it. Uh, True. So it's like it's that, that's not always the case because sometimes there's a continuity there and they would preserve it. But, yeah, like mm-hmm. the, the destruction of of archaeological sites of significance or artifacts of significance and burials especially is uh, is saddening but it's it's also just i don't know it's what happens yeah. most of the time what, tear down what that do you think temple about? we shall build a better one on top of it 
yeah. <laughs> it's like been what the do story. You get, what do you think about those kind of ideas of like uh, kind of more conspiratorial ideas that like these ancient sites are supplanted to um, like disrupt the energy grid or to take over the, the power that they had? Like, you know, here we've got a lot of supplanting on top of mounds. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, churches, plantation houses, um, monuments. Uh, usually, you know, it's a city center because it's, and that could just be, it's next to the river. It's the, you know, here, like in particular in Nashville, the, uh, the first French who settled here settled on top of a mound just so they could, it was just defensively better for their little fort. And also if uh, the river floods, you're, you're not in the flood zone. Yeah. 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 What do you think about those ideas? Like that it's like kind of this, you know, evil conspiracy to, uh, (laughs) build on top of this stuff. I think sometimes... And, you, you know, you can see this historically and even going back into ancient times, you can definitely see that it's a purposeful uh, mm-hmm. appropriation or a takeover yeah. of a site. They knock down what was, the, you know, they conquered the place, you knock down what was there and then you build your own. Uh, yeah. Whether it's always an evil plan, I don't know. But I do. I do. Th- Kyle and I have this thing. And we, we say this to each other when we're just looking for uh, midden, you know, we're walking around out here on some property looking for where's a good place to hunt for arrowheads. And right. and the thing we say to each other is people always live in the same places, yeah. right? And so we've just learned over time that often the place where you find the best midden and all the little pieces of arrowheads laying all over the place is the place where the really old farmhouse is. Yeah, and it, it yeah. may not the original homestead. Yeah, the original the, homestead. Yeah, of the, uh, the people that migrated here is almost always in a, the same place where ancient peoples lived. So because they're good place so is it is that was that a purposeful thing or is it just the right spot you know i i don't yeah. know and it may be energy based people you know you come onto some land and you're kind of walking around like where do i want to put where do i want to stay and you know if you want to get not so conspiratorial but maybe more spiritual you're like there, this there's a spot where you're just like this is the right place has an attraction yeah 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 but yeah i do think that sometimes it's definitely um a purposeful sort of takeover and you can see that all across history knock mm-hmm. down their monuments and put up your own but right. it was like the well, the temple of jupiter yeah on top yeah. of the the Baalbek foundation yep right? yeah like that's you know the way i've always looked at that is that they they probably found those foundations and they were like man we need to build something awesome here because that's they i'm sure their engineers looking at that stuff were like wow yeah, this is amazing. It was like, a way of 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 revering that yeah. ancient site. They so built it, they built the temple to their biggest god on this thing that they didn't build. That's really far away from the center of their civilization. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. And um, and modern archaeologists are like, yeah, it's all Roman, right? <laughs> <laughs> so who's doing the appropriating here? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I wonder if uh, it seems like. Um, I really don't understand enough about what what modern archaeology is like to understand is there is there less resistance to things like in maybe Europe or places where you don't have this um like racial dynamic that that you know causes people to be real you know nervous about things because of the past etc I wonder if there's like more freedom to speculate with you know without being uh, accused of things like that 
Yeah, that's uh, that's hard to say. I mean, it depends on what the past of that nation is and how long ago it was and who they think those people were yeah. and what happened to them, right? Well, I think the thing is, like, this is, it's really um, what, what a lot of the, and I really respect, you know, archaeologists, uh, but I think what a lot of them really don't understand is that looking for the mother civilization and these kind of ideas, like it's more of a spiritual quest and you're not going to stop people from doing that. Um, and you know, just kind of this, the way they look down on a lot of it, even if you, you, you're, you're an actual scientist, you think it's quaint, et cetera. You have to just appreciate the human part of that, that this is like as old as time, a spiritual quest of mankind trying to figure out where it came from or where it got this knowledge, et cetera. I think that that has to be acknowledged and like respected. Mm, that's a good point. I had never thought of it like that, but they just dismiss it. You know, they're just like, Oh, these people are just idiots, but really like it's a, these are big spiritual questions that aren't going to be answered by an archeological establishment. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they're point. just gonna they're just gonna look at it from the point of view of just like pure science and what they can prove <laughs> or what they can claim. <laughs> right, what they I'm, can claim. I'm pretty yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty jaded on the whole archaeology. I mean, uh, it's it's you you want to talk about archaeological hoaxes? Look at the history of archaeology itself, man. The, there's plenty of hoaxes in actual scientific archaeology itself. So. Yeah, I want to doubt it. Yeah. Yeah, well, the case in point would be the Great Pyramid, right? I mean, the, the inscriptions, you know, that yeah. there's no inscriptions in the whole thing, but all of a sudden there's just one. Yeah. There's an inscription. <laughs> and it's yeah. exactly saying exactly what they needed it to say to tell tell the story right. that they were already right. telling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, always, that's always been suspect. Just to kind of add to the point about, like, you know, whether it's political overseas as opposed to here. I mean, I think you, you can get into some – so tricky territory. I mean, there's like, I think especially with like Europeans in non-European places. Yeah. What it's like in Europe. Yeah. I think like his place like Turkey though, like somewhere place like that where they like, yeah. you know, there's like, they claim everything is basically, you know, now, especially since there's such a Islamic revival in Turkey, you know, because before it used to be a secular state. But now they try to say like, well, you know, um, what was it? Uh, Gobekli Tepe was it's like built by Abraham and all these kind of stuff like that. Yeah, it's so, more fundamentalist, biblically yeah. based. Yeah, you get you get into some weird some weird territory when I guess that they see like, you know, well they would see the Europeans getting into like and they're pretty I mean they're close to Europe, you know? Yeah. But they would see like they, they would say that like, oh, they're trying to, you know, appropriate, uh, yeah. Appropriate our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then there are actual outliers too that make everybody nervous you know uh kennewick man was one of them uh, uh sure. let's see they've, yeah. they've the one that looked like cats and picard is that what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah the, the reconstruction of his face yeah mm -hmm. uh and then you know they've found um well i mean i some of the there there have been red-haired people found down in in south america that made people nervous uh, and red-haired people had found in China that made people nervous. Uh, and so those things are always interesting, and they're kind of just quiet. You know, there's not a whole lot of yeah. there's not a whole lot of talk about them. Um, 
when it when I guess it's when you know what and this is the same thing with the out of place artifacts. Basically, you're you're supposed to be going out and looking for evidence of what history was really like, but a lot of times they already have a picture in their heads of what history was really like, and they're just looking for confirmation of that. So you dig up something that doesn't fit with that narrative, and then it kind of makes everybody upset, you know. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that happens everywhere. Uh, and yeah. it's almost impossible to tell how often because no one talks about it. But, you know, for, uh, Forbidden Archaeology by Cremo is an excellent example. Maybe not so much of, you know, uh, racial stuff, but just an example of archaeological finds all over the place that have made people nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. disappear into my, museum. I've got my copy on the shelf right here. Yeah. So. The things that disappear into museum basements because no one even wants to look at them because... They can't even imagine how they might fit into the model that they already have, so they don't even try. Uh, yeah. But for something like what uh, you know, what the purpose of like some of these ancient sites in the Americas might be, um, you know, if it if it was something kind of more more spiritual, um, and there's no record of the beliefs of these. Uh, you know, the detailed beliefs or cosmologies of these civilizations, um, then, you know, archaeology is not going to discover that. That's right. It's going to be people speculating or people practicing their own type of spiritual or magical systems um, who are going to, you know, discover that or at least for themselves feel like they're impacted or have some kind of piece to the puzzle. Well, I, I have a... Uh... I don't know if this is a good point, but when it comes to the spiritual aspect of these structures, uh, I would say that most likely these none of these structures were ever built by the spiritual uh, leaders. They're built by the construction guys. And those guys are engineers, and they do science, and they learn how to build, and they they learn mathematics. and they So you can look at you know, a lot of these cathedrals and stuff that are dedicated to a religious, uh, you know, institution. But the structures themselves are amazing in terms of engineering. And they were not built by priests. So yeah. it would be the same, like, I, I, you know, some of these mounds and these walls and, and uh, the geometry involved and a lot of this, these, these Native, Amer Native American sites here, I think it would be the same thing. Like these these guys who built those things were scientists. They studied astronomy. They studied building techniques. They they studied geometry and engineering. Uh, so they put those th principles into the structures. And as a builder, you want those things in your structure because it makes it way cooler. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it makes it beautiful in a way. Um, to 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 put that type of stuff in there to make it meaningful, and uh, you know there, I would say that there could be a spiritual aspect to that because going into some of these amazing cathedrals, you're just like overwhelmed. Um, so maybe there was some type of connection there, but uh, it's just kind of. I guess the point is is that. When I look at these types of things, I that's not my initial thought. Is it like, okay, this is a this is a house of worship or this is, you know, a temple. Yeah, that's what they're called, but 
it's pretty clear that the people who built them were concerned with these scientific endeavors, you know? Yeah, and, and for us as builders, you know, we've been we've built a lot of things over our lives and it's it's real interesting because for a long time we didn't know any of this stuff. We didn't know about sacred geometry, we didn't know about these crazy awesome astronomical cycles or the the magic quote unquote magic of numbers involved with precession. But now that we do, everything we build, we look for ways to put those numbers and those principles into them in some way. Exactly. That's, so, that's very interesting. Yeah. I think I got, I think I got Randall Carlson's uh, contractor uh, card around here somewhere he gave me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. It's just like that. Now that we know about all these things, we're like, okay, we've got to go build this thing. How can we, uh, yeah, how can we hide some yeah, super how can we cool eat stuff? Yeah. Cool. Even if I it's mean, like is that not, that, that, that is spiritual though. And I think like in these old systems, including a lot of the Western ones, the Pythagorean school, and uh, you got all these other examples, um, mathematics especially and and definitely uh, astronomy were and science were integrated into the spiritual system yeah and i think that i you know it's it's interesting for me to think about that because we don't live in a culture that does that so i i yeah. often wonder i'm like i don't even know if i know what that means uh except that i personally experience a kind of wonder and uh, like a feeling of awe when I contemplate these large uh, cosmic geometrical and astronomical concepts, right? Yeah. So there's, I don't know, there's something enticing about these concepts that I can see how those uh, or, or just just sitting in contemplation of these things these under, un, these understandings like Kyle and I will sit out and just stare at space at night right and we just look at the stars and we're talking about them and we're pointing things out and we're talking about the geometry of of the earth and its movements and all these these very long astronomical cycles and there's a kind of uh I don't know a sense of wonder that comes over you when you're doing that and that is a spiritual sensation I think so that's that maybe like that's like a transcendent yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's transcendent. You suddenly feel connected to this enormous, amazing, uh, complex, and beautiful system. Yeah, and incredibly insignificant at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, wow. <laughs> I am this little That's, tiny mite yeah. of dust that nevertheless understands godlike things. <laughs> or well, something. on the yeah. on the most basic level, I think a lot of these places and sites, um, what you're seeing is it's a, it's it's tracing the stars onto the earth and so that's that idea of uniting heaven and earth yep and uh the the mounds you know in the egyptian mythology the primordial mound things like that you know it's reaching towards the sky it's these are basically places where the spiritual and the material world are thought to be you know to join or be the thinnest and it's using the um the symbolism of you know the the sky and astronomy and the earth to say that on it on the next like esoteric level um so i think that's just at, a, at, at the most basic point that's where most of this uh most of these places are that's why they're they're uh having to deal with the the alignments yep um and tracing the alignments and tracing tracing the stars it's just about bringing bringing the heavens down on whatever level you want to think about that yeah. So I I don't I'm not trying to demean spirituality whatsoever. Right. Yeah. With the point. Uh 
it's it seems to me like when I when I look at the the academic community and you kind of get a sense of the way they look or you know seem to look at purely spiritual things when they're over here doing science and then when they make these discoveries and they're like yeah it's just uh you know they built this because of their crazy religious beliefs yeah that's basically the right, the kind right. of attitude they have you know oh yeah guess what they believed in this crazy crap that's obviously yeah. total bs but this, this was a temple their to entire, the entire headed god yeah their entire <laughs> society acted this certain way over stuff that's completely not true and not scientific it's kind of it's they don't say it that way but that's the way it comes across well and they're not the level of snark involved yeah, you know, and the, those <laughs> those religious systems aren't understand aren't understood as as esoteric. They're like they take it literally, like oh yeah, the Egyptians must have yes. believed in this animal headed god. It's like no, that really it, it has different me- levels of meaning to it. Yeah, right. So it's I, not, not yeah. it's not literal. So things might be more of actual, like you're saying, like things are actually more of what we would think of now as science, but they're under the guise like we're trying to understand it as religion. Yeah. Yes, the, the, because they, the, because religion and science are completely in in our society separate. They're yeah. separated, right? right? One one is just a it's some kind of I, I don't know uh non-scientific endeavor the way it's looked at, and then the other one is completely devoid of spirituality, it's just the facts. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the the idea, and it seems like you know, why is it that when you go into one of these cathedrals, do you, why does it create these emotions inside, you know, where you're just like, wow, you just have this spiritual, almost enlightenment feeling going in there. Well, there's some type of connection between that structure and the, and the, the way it is symbolic of nature in itself, Mm -hmm. using the geometry, using these mathematical principles that are part of the, of, of the universe it is sort of like this it's uniting these things so it it it's both yeah like you said bringing the heavens down to earth yeah. in the form of a structure and then when you walk into that structure you're like wow this is yeah amazing and it is amazing because it encodes these principles that are yeah. vi- that are visible in nature everywhere if you know where to look right so like, people, these, people, these, these structures are microcosms of the universe. Yes, and people who don't even know anything about the universe or the cosmos or procession or, or sacred geometry or anything, they can still walk into one of these structures and have that same feeling. They may not know why. You know, they may think, well, this is a holy place. Well, maybe it's holy. You know, we use these words like spiritual and holy, but, that, you know, what do they mean? Well, maybe it's that sensation you get is because it is harmonious with the principles of the universe itself. Yeah, so it re- mm-hmm. so so to to achieve that level of spiritual understanding to build one of those structures, you have to have all these hard science hard sciences like the mathematics and the geometry and the astronomy and all of that together and an understanding of of the bigger picture to even build them in the first place, which is that suggests, you know, if you're looking at these mound structures around I mean, that really suggests that why is it that these people had that knowledge and understanding at the same time that people across oceans had it? Was it shared? You know, that's the most interesting thing to me. Yeah. 
uh, and it seems like it in so many different places in the world over over vast amounts of time somehow this knowledge was carried on preserved yeah. and shared over and over and, again and that that's like the ultimate antidote to chauvinism you know it's it's saying that we all have this like root that we all get it from yes of course, the chauvinism comes in when people theorize, oh, oh well, my people are the root of it. My people are the root of it. You know, right. and we see that from every direction. <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah, clearly, it's like a, it's, clearly it's you a guys, prescription against it. Clearly, you guys were the root of it. I mean, <laughs> this is pretty obvious to me now that your ancestors are the re reason we have all this knowledge. <laughs> yeah, it's those, it's the Aryan Tibetans or the. <laughs> well, I'm just, I think that. Uh, that I, I really like the point you made that searching for this source is a kind of a spiritual quest and that, you know, that people in the sciences should understand that and not try to stop it or belittle it. Uh, yeah. And so sometimes when they belittle it to an extreme, like it feels almost like a, you know, you wouldn't belittle someone's religion like that openly. It's like, you know, so. Well, they feel pretty free doing it with ancient people's religions. I mean, when you yeah. read, when you read the way they write yeah. about it, yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know, and you know, like so here's an interesting thing. You're talking about the mound mythos. That there's like an opposite kind of a well, it's like a reverse, not really situation happening with the Northeast. We just had a couple of people on, a couple of guests on the show that were talking to us about uh, aligned walls and effigy mounds and stone structures in the Northeast of the United States, and. These structures are all, you know, people that archaeology says that these are colonial. In other words, that they were built, that they're very young and they were built by colonial Talk about people. like a America Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. But yeah. there but there are like, yeah. there are stone chambers that are just in the middle of nowhere, right? That, that are aligned to, uh, to solstices or equinoxes or whatever. And they're, you know, and they're, they're thought of as root cellars or uh, basically colonial structures. Cairns and uh, you know rock piles that are thought mm -hmm. of as just like yeah farmers just chucking rocks out of the field you know yeah except that they are building these giant snake effigies or something right but it's, so it's it's interesting because it's like the opposite of the mound right mythos, right and it's, it's not saying it's it's these are these seem to be uh, actually more old, more ancient maybe not incredibly ancient but more ancient than colonial and they have a lot of features that don't seem to match with farmers throwing rocks out of their fields or people needing a root cellar. Uh, like, why would you align your root cellar to, you know, like the solstice or something? I don't know. Or have it point in multiple ways to various astronomical features. But they're considered to be colonial. And that that's going on today. That, that's ongoing now. It's uh, some of the, these people we were talking to, Linda Zimmerman and, and um, Glenn Kreisberg, are constantly working with various uh, institutions up there trying to get these places protected and it's hard because they're considered to have very little archaeological value wow that's weird yeah well yeah all the stuff is it's really fascinating um i know uh adam was wanting to talk about a uh a particular book i think with you guys too all right yeah yeah we should yeah. do that I, before we do we were, that, I have one more question. 
Yeah. And then maybe we could uh, take a break. Yeah, I'll take a break. Take a break. So on this same subject, I wanted to ask you, you, you are interested in the hoaxes. Uh, what do you think about a hoax fad? <laughs> a hoax fad? Yeah, like a fad of the same types of hoaxes in archaeology that just happens over and over and over. Everybody starts doing it. Um, it's the cool thing to do. <laughs> I'm referring to the to the giant skeletons. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they call they call all the newspaper articles. They call those all. That's a well, part of a hoax fact. Yeah, there's right? there's there's one actually. I just went to uh, this place here, not too far, uh, pretty close to where they have Bonnaroo. Actually, it's called a Old Stone Fort, and it's this big uh, fifty acre enclosure that's like surrounded by a giant wall that you know they thought there's all kinds of speculation. You know, is some kind of ancient European thing because there's also this. Um, there's like where they dug out the limestone to build most of it and or some naturally occurring stuff. There's this, what looks like a moat also. So there, there's all kinds of speculation around that. But around that was a, a cave called the what was this the big bone cave. And I guess someone found this supposed giant in there. You can find like the old newspaper articles and stuff. But yeah. it turns out that it's actually a, a, a giant uh prehistoric sloth a sloth yeah yeah <laughs> so i've heard of that and and uh the what are, what are some of those other ones i'm trying to remember the ones that were actually like uh sculptures uh, there's a few of those i think there's one in colorado um, yeah there there were definitely some giant hoaxes but what kyle yeah. speci- what kyle is specifically asking about is do you think that 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 all those giant finds so many hundreds of them reported across the country were all part of some kind of fad like yeah, I think it was a it was a hustle, man. I mean, you're talking about people out in the middle of nowhere, you know, didn't really have a lot of prospects, some of them. And, and uh, man, I mean, you could get people from miles and miles around to pay, you know, a nickel or whatever to see the stuff. Yeah, okay. I agree sure. with that. See, that's a, a money. Lot of it was just economic. That's a yeah. money-making I, endeavor. I, like you, like I, think, you're, I, think it's, I think that's part of it, guys. But I also think there's probably a religious, there could be a religious motivation to it as well. You know, the whole idea of the Genesis 6 stuff, the giants and the earth and all that, you know, just trying to go again. It's like trying to go back and backdate and prove that that happened. Okay. So I think there might have been a, like both a monetary and a religious motivation to it. So there. Yeah, that's what I was going to point out is that like with the, the story about the guy at the conference selling stuff, like obviously there's a there's a motive there. He's making money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but there's so many of these accounts in newspaper articles and stuff where it's just like some construction workers that were digging up a sewer line and they found these giant bones and then the Smithsonian people came and took them away for study and then bam, nobody makes nothing. any money. Yeah, nobody makes money. The story's over and they're the story ends with something about a follow up, but it never happens. And then the Smithsonian's like, we don't have that. Uh, <laughs> well- well, then is the motivation something like, well, okay, we found these skeletons and we've heard these stories, but like the Smithsonian obviously took them. So, so, but we need, we need something to prove that this was actually here. So they, you know, put the statue in the ground or whatever. And yeah, there's, uh, it, it could be something like that too. Yeah. It's just, interesting. I think it was mostly just a, I think it was just a, a hustle and, I think uh, most of them were like, you know, tricksters. I think there's just a, there's a big tradition in um, 
you know, it's like the P.T. Barnum types, man. I think P.T. Barnum ended up buying a couple of those, too. And that was some of his first uh, little shows. I just think it's kind of a, it's an American character. I think that because <laughs> of the like the, the age of antiquarianism and relic hunting and hoaxes, this stuff was so big. It was big business. You had, uh, you know, people doing all this weird like, uh, uh, you know, magical um you know, money finding and it just got so much this weird stuff. I just think it was just ingrained in America um, that, you know, and people like knew of, of things like that. They read about it in a newspaper article or they heard of people doing stuff like that before. I think it was just like, it was a pastime, like doing all this kind of stuff. Um, I don't, right. I don't know. Uh, I don't really subscribe to there really being these giants that were like, covered up by the smithsonian a lot of the the journalism of the time too you know was kind of it was kind of like uh yeah. exploitative and right. i don't know how much to really trust a lot of that stuff a lot of the stuff from like uh, even books like the john haywood stuff a lot of his uh tales of giants and pygmies it was like second and third hand accounts already by the uh -huh. time it gets into the book then his, his book is, you know, quoted by another book and another one. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't really put a lot my, of stake. My cousin's friend's brother was in the darkest heart of Africa and he <laughs> encountered these beings. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure that pygmies are, are, have been confirmed though. I mean, those, there have been enough accounts of those. I think that they're. Yeah. Yeah, I'm we sure know. Found some really yeah. short people. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of the giants might just be some, you know, really a tall ass tribe of you know yeah. seven foot yeah eight foot tall dudes yeah that's what I'm talking about there's yeah embellishment there's embellishment and look Surfiel's right about the you know the time the the time period I mean all throughout the 1800s and into the early 20th century I mean you had especially around the time of the Spanish American War you know yellow journalism and it's about that same time that you get you know the 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 airship mystery. And how, you know, there, there's some interesting, compelling cases with the airship mystery, but there's also a lot of bullshit. <laughs> you know, so like it just the, makes like it like having, impossible to sift through. I think the yeah. same. I think the same of the giant reports. There's a lot of yeah. crap, but it's not yeah. all crap. There could be there. There could be something to it. But Why maybe the, the account has been possibly embellished. Maybe they said, oh, they were. 12 feet long when they were actually guys that were probably six or seven. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, that, that stuff I think happens all the time. It's just the game of telephone. If you really think about it. Yeah. Like, you know, Jim, Jimbo didn't have a, his, he didn't have like a, a, a ruler or a measuring tape on him. You know, so <laughs> that, that thing was t 12 foot tall, you, you know, know by the time about, to get to the journey. <laughs> they were about yay long and yay wide. <laughs> you know, by the time he gets to the journalist, you know, it's like you got 15, 20 foot tall mummy or okay, whatever. So this is like the fisherman, yeah. you know, it's the fisherman story basically. Yeah, yeah, telephone. Yeah. yeah. But well, then I mean, too, the fishery, you know, he tells you that the fish that got away was probably four or five. Feet oh, long. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, you can't don't see it. I didn't catch it, but man, it was huge. I promise. Don't just <laughs> don't discount the whole though trying to prove the biblical stuff because I mean we're still dealing with that now, right? I mean, look at the creation museum and the ark encounter and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're still trying to make it fit. Yeah. You know, so I think that they were trying to do that back in the in you know, and, 150, 200 yeah. years ago. And there are also, there are also forces that are trying to make sure it never fits. That's right. And like, you can see that mm -hmm. with the Comet Research Group and the whole Younger Dryas, the floods. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. It's like, no, 
Yeah, that's too close. It wasn't a big flood that <laughs> flooded the whole place. It was a bunch of small floods. Blah blah blah. Like you know. Yeah, the force goes both, both ways. It goes both ways, yeah, and not absolutely. only that, but there are. What's also interesting about the giant stuff, you know, just before we get into this other, these other topics, the giant stuff, it isn't in just Christianity that that those myths exist. Uh, True. Like, you'd be hard pressed to find a culture that didn't talk about giants in some form. Uh, yeah, some kind of heroes or big, you know, or yeah. half oh, yeah. god, half men. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So there, there it is ubiquitous across. You know, human culture and mythology and legend. Native Americans talk about them, uh, and the little people. They they talked about giants and tiny people. Uh, so th- so we're we're fascinated with all the stories because I I do agree that you know there's probably a lot of hoaxing, but at the same time, it isn't just people trying to confirm biblical crap or people doing hoaxes because the stories are too widespread uh, to totally ignore. So that's that's I think that's kind of yeah. our that's kind of our outlook on most of the, the these ancient myths and stuff like, yeah, it it gets embedded in religion and then it gets weird. But still, yeah, I, I think there's it, something I think, in there. <laughs> I, I think that there's probably something to some of it. Yeah. 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 I think that there's definitely a root to the mythology. Yeah. There's a truth to the mythology as there as there usually is. Yep. Yeah, and, and there's plenty of room for healthy speculation, and uh, it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be discouraged. And like I said, most of this, I think, is really uh, more of a spiritual quest and uh, using archaeological methods. Yep, that's a good point. All right, well, let's let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about uh, God's, God's of Eden and the conference. Cool, okay. cool. All right. the guys from Conspiracy Normal. And uh yo, think, yo. yeah. How you guys doing? Doing well. How was the break? You had a nice long you had a couple of beers? <laughs> yeah, about a whole six pack. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we we want to discuss uh in in no particular order some stuff about the gods of Eden and also you guys have a an online conference coming up which should be real interesting. Yes, we do. We have the Strange Realities Conference coming up. Strange Realities. Yeah, so what's the what was the impetus for starting the conference? And, you know, I think you guys did one last year. Is it, was last year the first one? Yeah, yeah last year was the first one. Uh, in real in life. 2019, yeah. yeah, in real life, back when you could do that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so it was always just something that was in my mind that I wanted to do. You know, I, I had gone to several different conferences in the past it was kind of like a thing that i like to do a while back and still enjoy to do and uh, about 2017 i went to roswell new mexico to um a good friend of mine guy malone who later spoke at the uh, first conference and now is part of the second conference 
and that was part of the he that his conference was part of the big 50 years or yeah 70 year anniversary for roswell new mexico and you know whatever crash there and so we did that that was with uh rob who you guys have probably heard on the show before yeah uh rob ran ran sound for him and i kind of had the idea at the time i was like you know what i think it might be time to kind of start moving to the next level to the uh conference level and so about like 2019 early 2019 i was just like you know Surfiel had this place in mind that was down the street from his from his place and we thought well you know i think we could do this and that place i think went out of business right Surfiel? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so but we were still but we had that connection with uh rob uh working at this place called sir which is like um it's a place where bands practice oh, in yeah. Nashville. equipment rental yeah, and great big room that we could be in. Uh, we we had a free sound guy and Rob because he could run the sound. The sound of we were like, you know, we could do this fairly cheap. And I was like, we could fly in people from from out of town and some people like Joshua Cutchin, who was pretty close, you know, because he's he was only in Atlanta. And we just said, I think we can do it. So we just started, uh, you know, getting people in. Uh, we had, I think, nine, I think we had eight speakers, nine presentations last year. And we just actually streamed those on our Facebook page, Conspiracy Normal Facebook page. We just streamed those last Saturday. So those are actually available now ah. uh, on YouTube and on our Facebook page uh, for people to check out if they want all the presentations from last year. Because we got them, my cousin actually came up from Atlanta, got them filmed. Uh, then we had somebody edit them this year. And so, you know, it was just like one something that I, that I always wanted to do. And so we, so the we're going to do la- it again this year. Last year it was a single day thing, right? You had, it was a single day yeah, thing. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. And we were going to pretty much do the same thing. I think what our, our original plan for it this year was we were going to be at the same place, but we were going to do it like a, a dinner kind of setting. And we were going to have like about two or three speakers that night. And then we would have the rest of the speakers on Saturday. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, the world changed because <laughs> of COVID. And we had to we didn't know whether we were going to do it what we were going to do until probably about late May, early June. And we decided that what we were going to do was do an online conference this year. And that I think really freed up some things. I mean, it's like, it's easier to do an online conference and the fact that for the people that not that they would travel anyway, but if you think about it, people got to pay a certain amount to go to the conference, which is probably like the cheapest part of their trip yeah then they got to pay for a hotel they got to pay for airfare or they got to pay gas to get here yep With this we could keep the price fairly low which is twenty dollars and we were also able to get more people to be a part of this right because we didn't have to fly anybody in 
So we have 21 speakers spread out over three days, which is the 25th, 26th, and 27th. Uh, Friday is is more of an evening thing, but the 26th and 27th, those are going to be pretty much full day events. Wow. And we're going to be streaming it, streaming it live um, all day. And so, if people are interested, it's twenty dollars to get tickets. That's you know twenty-one speakers. I mean, that's less a do- than a dollar per speaker. Um, when you when people sign up, they can sign up through Eventbrite, which is what we've got it on there. They can um, go to strangerealitiesconference.com and they can get a ticket through there. And there's we actually have it set up for like a private Facebook group that people the only people that have paid can get into that group and they will be able to watch the conference all day. And they can actually also, because Facebook obviously preserves what you stream, as long as you leave it up, they can actually, they can actually go back. If they've missed anything, they can go back and watch the presentation. So we think it's a pretty good deal for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. But here's my question. I have a bunch of artifacts I've found in my backyard how okay. can I sell them at your conference? If we'll I... get you a little segment. Uh, you can stream, <laughs> yeah. show them, and then they can uh, do like, we'll, we'll have an auctioneer. All right. We'll get Jim, Jim Benal to be an auctioneer. I think he can do the... Oh, yeah. So we do it like that. That's how we'll do it. Excellent. <laughs> we also we, we also are going to have something. We're going to have like a tip jar for the speakers as well. Oh, so, that's cool. Um, you know, the, the $20 will, you know, some of that is going to, you know, is going to go to the cost of cover of these speakers, but also these guys are putting in their time. They're putting in their effort. Um, some of them have, some of them have books that they're selling. So we kind of like, you know, push people to buy the books and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And the lineup is just really epic. You know, like Adam said, we were able to get a lot of people we couldn't uh, get before just because of time and space constraints. But, uh, with with all these people, it really shows uh, a good spread, and it's a good representation of like all the different stuff we cover on the show. So it's kind of you know it's a really good presentation of what what Conspira Normal really represents too. So it's kind of in line with that, and some of uh, the our favorite people who have been on the show and a lot of recurring guests and stuff like that. Yeah, and you got Soraya. Isn't Soraya going to be a part of it? Soraya is yep. going to be a part of it. Is he actually giving a presentation or is he? Host? He is actually giving a presentation. Wow. Yes. That's yeah. really cool. Yes. Yeah. We're very excited to have him. He actually was, when we were still planning on doing it. Yeah, he was going to travel. Event, he yeah. was going to come uh, to Nashville, but that obviously did not happen. Right. So. Uh, we hope next year, I mean, we're kind of looking towards already kind of looking towards next year, what we're going to do. Of course, a lot of it is going to depend on the situation in the world, but, um, we're kind of thinking about keeping doing it kind of like a hybrid event, um, possibly doing like a day of live presentations and then a day of, uh, online presentations Yeah, and, but streaming the entire thing online. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. That's the way to do it. 
It uh, it does yeah, it got, does seem like you could get a lot more both attendees and and uh, you know speakers that way. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. I was always kind of against the online thing because, in my opinion, I always felt like you know, well, it's a it's it's like it's a happening, it's a thing. You know, it's like yeah. it's not it's not going to be as good as it is being online. But but now I've kind of changed my my thoughts on that, and I think it's just another way for people that because you know. There's people that don't have the, the the money or the cash or the time to go to yeah to come to Nashville to see this and you know it's a it's it's a it's a big investment and you know the, having that online component I think is 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 very really important yeah and I, You're I think that, a lot of these kind of springing up right now right and I think that combining the two is probably your best bet uh, you you'll be mm-hmm. able to eventually you know if everything goes back to somewhat semi-normal then you'll be able to have live event you'll have have in-person live events that people can attend but also stream it and then you can have you know people that live halfway across the world can attend in a way yeah uh in a you know as opposed to just not being able to go at all so i think that's a really good idea yeah yeah yeah, I mean, we've got uh, our friend Miguel, Red, Red Pill Junkie. Uh, he's going to be beaming in from Mexico City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people from all over the states. So, yeah, it's it's real cool. It's freed up a lot of a lot of uh, people to be able to speak and see. Yeah. Well, that's great. But like man. you said, there's really nothing better than those, like, you know, hanging out in real life and yeah. those hallway conversations, you know, where the, where you really get the deep stuff, you know, and the, yes, the, that's the right. secrets. But, we're going to, uh, we're going to try to replicate some of that. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to do, we're, we're going to do like a, a zoom. Like hangouts at night like, that yeah. all the, all the speakers and the, the uh, attendees can hang out together and oh, stuff man. like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. We're going to try not to let Alan Greenfield dominate the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Just everybody needs to have like hotel hallway backgrounds, right? Yes. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. you yeah. go. Yes. <laughs> Good idea. Very perfect. Yeah. Would you guys like to know uh, who we have other than Soraya, which I'm sure is the worth the price of admission alone yeah let's hear it but uh okay so guys um well i'll just kind of run down the list here uh with some of these some of these people and we've actually been putting a lot of these on our facebook page if you guys want to go check that out um it's pretty normal facebook page we've got little graphics for each one and the little title uh we got brit rains Who's going to be there? Who's going to be part of this? Brent is a uh, he's he's an older ufologist here in uh, Tennessee, um, and he's going to be talking about his his presentation is called "Opening Pandora's Box: UFOs and the Psychic Nexus: mm. An Exploration into the Psychic Components of the UFO Enigma." So we could we're bringing some UFOs into it. Uh, Aaron Gullius who is the yeah. host of the Saucer Life podcast. Um, but Aaron is actually not going to be talking about UFOs. He's going to be talking. His presentation is Happy Endings, Triumphalist Conspiracy Narratives Since the End of the Cold War. And basically talking about um, conspiracy theories that uh, are to the positive side, at ah. least for the people that believe in them. Uh, David Betcalf is also going to be there. Uh, 
who's going to talk about hidden pathways of magic, supernatural living in the American marketplace. Basically, that is about gas, what he calls gas station or grocery store grimoires, <laughs> where people you can find these odd like books of divination that have kind of a Christian bent in gas stations and grocery stores. Wow. It's a phenomenon that David has found uh, that's it's particularly in the American South. Wow. Um, Stephanie Quick, all the way up from California. She's going to be talking about uh, wild talents, activate your capacity to manifest synchronicity. Oh, yeah. John Tenney. I'm sure you guys know who John is. He has got a really cryptic title for his 6079 Tenney J Life in Room 101. <laughs> and what was he? I think he described it last night, didn't he, Serfiel? Kind of about yeah. Uh, were we spo- are we supposed to like? Uh, uh, don't give away the secret. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we're we're supposed to let anyone. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. We might not want to. Yeah. Well, I mean, he let everybody know on the stream last night, but it's it's conspiracy theory related, also kind yeah, of like yeah. a, on a meta level. But what's his normal topics? Maybe that would give people a hint. Uh, he's kind of all across the board, man. Really, I mean, he's a ghost. He's a ghost hunter. Uh, um, but he's also an old time conspiracy researcher too. All right. Uh, John's was on a show called Ghost Stalkers back a few years ago, which uh, is probably, I think, one of the better ghost hunting shows that's that was out there. But it only lasted like about six seasons. I mean, not six seasons, but six episodes. Mm. Uh, Red Pill Junkie, like. Sergio mentioned before, he's gonna. It's called "Spoke Mirrors and Plexiglass Windows." Is Matt the nested deceptions of Planet Umo, UMMO, which is a not as well known UFO or contactee case in Spain, but people here in the United States or the English speaking world may not know it as well as like people in the Spanish speaking world. Uh. So he's gonna enlighten us on that. And Jenny Ashford, who is part of the uh, 13 o'clock podcast, which uh, and YouTube series, which uh, is a very cool and interesting show. You guys should check out some time. It's pretty fun. Uh, She's going to be talking about uh, some true crime. And she's going to talk about unsolved murders in the oldest city, which is about some murders that happened in St. Augustine, Florida. Ah, and she's in Florida. She's, she's working on that as part of her book. Uh, the great and someone that, you know, is just has no comparison, you know, no rules, no comparison. Mr. Tim Banal of Banal of America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's going to be talking about it's it's a continuation of his presentation from last year where he talked about kind of the strange history and strange beliefs of flat earth theorists. Oh wow. And Tim actually went to uh right the month after strange realities one he actually went to uh the flat earth conference in Dallas. Man, so, so kind of did like an embedded journalist yeah. <laughs> slash uh, kind of uh, anthropologist thing. <laughs> yeah. So his is called Among the People of Flat Earth Recollections from a Visit to the International Flat Earth Conference. Uh, Joshua Cutchin. I know you guys know Josh. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, he is going to be talking about bringing some cryptozoology to you guys, the buzz and the beast, altered states of consciousness and Bigfoot encounters, which yeah, if oh, you yeah. guys have, I don't know if you've read uh, Where the Footprints In, but uh, that's a, a really good book. So I think he's going to pull, be pulling some things from that. Um, it's about Bigfoot stealing your stash. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Kiki Kiki Dombrowski, who uh, until lately lived in Nashville, but uh, she's a witchcraft practitioner. Ah. She's been on our show. Uh, she's going to be talking about prophecies, predictions, and cycles during our lifetimes. That's the title of hers. And Tony Kale, who we just posted up his today. Uh, now, there's a two-part. There's actually two speakers doing one presentation and they're taking two parts. Tony is taking the first part of that, which uh, is called hidden in shadows when folk magic met the paranormal. And Tony studies folk magic, especially uh, hoodoo is uh. one of his biggest, um, his biggest focus because he lives in Memphis. And then Jack Montgomery is taking part two of that. And Jack is a practitioner of folk magic, primarily the Pennsylvania uh, Dutch powwow tradition. Ah. Okay. So those are the ones that I have as far as people. And, and also Michael Carter, um, Dr. Uh, Reverend Michael Carter. I always want to call him doctor for some reason. He is going to be there. He's going to be talking about UFOs in the Bible, which I guess is kind of similar to gods of Eden, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he's been on ancient aliens, quite a few other shows. Alan Greenfield, who we just mentioned, uh, is going to be doing a comedy act. <laughs> uh, but actually he's going to be, you know, the author of secret cipher of the euphonauts and the, uh, founder of the free illuminist movement uh he is going to be doing a, que a question and answer session all right uh so make sure everybody make sure somebody asks some questions <laughs> what about soraya you didn't mention him soraya is going to be talking about i believe it's going to be something of, it's actually here on the website he he says that he's going to be talking about time and the odd connection to unexplained phenomenon as well as, as well as different ways of looking at experiences people have. Mm. So that ought to be interesting. Soraya is a deep thinker. Yeah. Rin Collier, who we mentioned before, Rin is going to be talking about the uh, hollow earth. Oh, cool. Mythology. I think he's kind of given like time. a whole expose on the the history of it in uh, in mythology and folklore, right? Yes, yes, and probably uh, probably linking it to occultism as well. Yeah, Rin's also say. a magic pra practitioner, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Doctor Future, our good friend Michael Bennett, um, he's going to be giving a presentation on uh, some aspects of his forthcoming book series on two masters and two gospels so his is more of a kind of um i guess you could say a conspiracy type um presentation as well that that's two two masters and two gospels is that what you said two masters and two gospels yeah. that's yeah. the name of his that's the name of his book uh and 
We've got Steven Steiner, also known as Recluse. And uh, he's going to be talking about, I think, about like um, right wing imagery. Was that right, Sergio? I'm not sure. Something like that. And some of like uh, the magic, I guess, like occultism that's associated with that and magical and uh, synchro, some like synchro mystic type of aspects to, to it. Greg yeah, he Bishop. Gets, he gets really deep on some real dark conspiracy stuff to make you uh, not be able to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You should check out his podcast, The Farm. I can't, uh, I can't uh, give it enough praise. Uh, Greg Bishop. Now, he's going to be talking about, uh, he told us last night, didn't give us a title, but uh, I guess kind of like a co-creation theory and kind of like the obliqueness of the of the ufo phenomenon oh yeah and how that influences how that influences researchers and and witnesses timothy renner not quite sure what timothy is but renner is going to be talking about but uh whatever really it is it's it, it, it may deal with uh with cryptozoology yeah. and probably paranormal aspects and of that and like last year when him and Josh did a joint presentation, um, they basically gave everyone a preview last year of what uh, was in the uh, book that was upcoming but has come out now where the footprints and I think Tim's yep. material this year is going to be kind of a, a, a real preview too of stuff that hasn't been released. All right. Guy Malone, who I mentioned before, who I went to his conference back in 2017, he is going to be giving a presentation on on aliens and demons and the association between the two. And I do believe that that is everybody. Man, sounds like a good lineup. Yeah, I think uh, isn't Greg is also he's Radio Mysterioso, right? Yeah, right. Yep. yeah, that's, yeah. That's Greg also is awesome. A great podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so that that is every that is everyone that is going to be at the strange realities conference 2020 which is going to be online september 25th 26th 27th strangerealities.com conspiranormal.com you've got everything from ufos to magic and folklore to uh conspiracy um it's just all over the place at you know, cryptids, it, it gives a real good, real good representation of what our uh, podcast is all about. All right. Sounds good. And it's a, an apt name for the conference, given the time Thank we you. live in. Strange yeah. yes. realities. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, Serfiel said, I mean, we're, we're combining kind of the paranormal conspiracy theory, uh, Real and, and and when I say conspiracy theory, like there's some real like serious research going on with uh, yeah with some of these, but especially um, Doctor Future and Recluse. I mean, they really dig deep into their re- respective fields of interest, and they really bring a lot of just information to the table. All right, sounds good. So people need to go sign up. I think we'll be there. Yes, they do. Yeah. All right. Strangerealities.com. <laughs> yeah, that was a great commercial you guys sent us. It's called oh, strangerealitiesconference.com. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to. Surfiel was afraid that it sounded too much like a monster truck. <laughs> That's exactly commercial. what I thought. I was like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> it's straight up monster. You got to have a strange realities. <laughs> 
it was, I, I was like, that's great. It's perfect. Yeah. If we could if we could have put in Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. <laughs> Monday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and Saturday. <laughs> so have you been reading Gods of Eden? You were waving the book at us. Well, so I read Gods of Eden a while ago. Yeah. Like, man, we're talking probably less, well, a little less than 25 years ago. And it was one of those books that I really enjoyed at the time. But as I kind of more, you know, have done a lot more research and gotten a, and had some of my viewpoints changed, uh, I've kind of, you know, Not got away it. from it. It's one of those <laughs> books that like you can pick up and you can just like turn to a chapter and you can just like start reading. It's like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I, I thought it was interesting that you guys did how many parts was that seven parts or yeah, something I think like so. that? I think seven parts. Yeah. Yeah. It, th- did you get through like the whole thing? No. Cause I thought it was almost like you were re I could tell that like, cause I could remember reading like those parts, at least in the first couple of parts, I could remember like reading all that. Yeah. It's an interesting book. Um, William Bramley. I don't think is the guy's name. I think that was a pen name, what I've always understood. Hmm. But it's odd. It's a it's an odd book in a way because it's like he was trying to figure out the roots of warfare. Yeah. And trying to really understand that. And somehow that goes into religion, which, you know, you can you can see that. Okay. That's not a big leap of logic but then all of a sudden it's like you can kind of see like how he worked backwards like the book is linear but yes. it's like he was trying to figure out oh okay well we're talking about all this uh you know 20th century stuff and they're trying to figure out all that and they're trying to figure out how secret societies influenced conflict and then somehow that ends up basically with the Zachariah Sitchin stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which I felt like, you know, in many ways I kind of find problematic now just because of some of like the research of somebody like Dr. Heiser, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. I don't know if you've ever looked into him, but he pretty much is like that's, debunks Sitchin. Sitchinisrong.com, right? That's yeah, Sitchinisrong.com. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Dr. Heiser is an actual... Um, ancient Near East scholar and linguist and says it just like, you know, Sitchin got everything wrong. But Bramley, whoever Bramley is, um, based everything essentially off of that. You obviously haven't been to SitchinIsBitchin.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Uh- <laughs> well, so, yeah, so I, I agree. When we went through the book this time, and it, yeah. it, I, I I read it a while back to you, not 25 years ago, but I read it a long time ago. And uh, Kyle kind of went through it, too. And when we went through it this time, after having done a lot of the podcast, a lot of this other research. I wasn't sure anybody else had ever read this thing, man. And when you guys put that out, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Cause it, was a for- it was a book I randomly picked up at a bookstore back when I was like, 19 or something oh yeah yeah. i don't remember how i came across it i can't recall but it was i originally got a 
you know, a PDF uh, a long time ago and somebody mentioned it somewhere. I was probably on above top secret or something like that. And I've, uh, who knows, you know, I was somewhere on some conspiracy forum and someone's like, oh, you got to check this book out. So I read it. And yeah, it was a formative thing for me. It, 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 uh, it changed the way I look at a lot of things, but that, and it, what, what I should say is that it led me into like, all right, let's, let me, I want to dive into this stuff. That's really what happened. Um, and so going through it this time on the podcast, I had a lot of the same, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm not really buying this part, or I think that he's kind of glossing over something here, or, uh, I don't know if that connection can necessarily be made. Uh, but I do agree that his his process was interesting, uh, where he's you know he's basically looking at the what is the source of warfare, and he's seeing this Machiavellian stuff happening all over the place, and he keeps seeing it as far back as he can go in history, right? And then if the farther back you go in history, obviously, once you get into the really old stuff, the gods start showing up and doing all the Machiavellian stuff, and I think that's really if you want to just. You know, if if I was to give a synopsis of the book, I would just say that his his basic thing is like, well, the source of this seems to be ancient what what ancient people called gods uh, that came from the sky. So yeah, he's kind of going down a Sitchin route there. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I don't fully buy that Sitchin was wrong. dot com. I don't. I, <laughs> I don't completely buy that. I have read a lot of that guy's stuff, and to me, it all seems like uh, differences in interpretation. You know, he's, he's in a lot of places, people are like, oh, Sitchin was totally wrong on this. And I'm just like, well, he's interpreting it differently than you are, but it isn't like he's completely wrong. We don't know what these people were saying either. We have these ancient texts. They say this thing. You can look at multiple different, um, uh, uh, translations, both by that guy that has that website, plus many other legitimate translators The all the translations are in in some ways similar but in other ways drastically different but they all seem to be kind of saying the same thing that gods came out of the sky and they were they were running everything back in the day and the, and then the tra- the interpretation of the scientific realm is that this is all religious crap and Sitchin was just like well let's take them seriously gods came out of the sky you know lowercase g gods is what we call them mm-hmm. uh, and whether those were aliens or are people other people that were advanced that live, were living right. somewhere else on the planet. I don't know, right? But the which, whole, which is what, which is what I tend to more, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more an ancient civilization, yeah. guy than I am ancient aliens. Yes, guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I really, Kyle and I really like the ancient civilizations interpretation. But of course, we've talked to Laird Scranton too, you know, and he's like, look, you, you can't, you can't just say that about all of these because he's done all this research in the Dogon, and the Dogon people are like, well, th- these weren't people, uh, and they weren't aliens coming out of the sky they were actually coming from a different realm and interacting yeah, the, the interdimensional kind of stuff and, yeah. and that's kind of what i was about to kind of kind of kind of say because kind of leafing through it now where he talks a lot about of course you know he he talks he gets into the you know the nazi occult stuff and, yep. and how that how that came about and he talks a lot about freemasonry there's even a chapter in here about joseph smith yep 
Hey, hey um, uncle. <laughs> yeah. And so, so he talks, he talks about that. He talks about St. Germain. Yes. Uh, the Mount Shasta stuff. And yeah. I remember all this really well from, cause a lot of the, a lot of, especially the St. Germain, this book was the first time I'd ever heard of any of that stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. And you know, but it, it, but for him, you know, starting off from this kind of materialist point of view, as ancient aliens that these are you know physical beings from the sky it, it's more like looking at this now where you see the the influence of maybe some kind of otherworldly entities or yeah. you know especially with stuff like you know Sergio and i've talked about this a lot about you know the the ascended masters yeah uh, that's in blavatsky and theosophy um all that is uh I think that's what you're dealing with is some kind of like, I guess for lack of a better term, interdimensional with like what Laird says. Yeah. I I actually, Um, I actually like to think of it that Bramley was going more along the lines of say like Charles Fort than he was so much Sitchin. I know he pulled a lot of stuff from Sitchin, but he also pulled stuff from Fort and Fort was saying the same thing, you know, giant ships are going back and forth in the sky and we are owned by them. Like, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're property, is, <laughs> yeah, what, is exactly. what Fort said. There's an interesting part to this book, and I thought that it was something that was kind of more original to him than than borrowed from Sitchin. And a part that really always um, was, I found, really compelling, and that was the chapter on the Black Death. Yes, man, that was And fantastic. I've probably read this chapter several times more than I've actually read the entire book since. But like he he does some interesting things and says some interesting things about like, you know, the way that they were that they were carrying scythes. Yep. You know, these the the you know death is always the grim reaper. Yeah. And like, you know, I don't know if I believe any of this, but like, you know, talking about these figures that would be out in fields like spraying things yeah you know and then all of a sudden the plague would start yep like i found that compelling and i found it compelling then and i still find that compelling yeah you know i can't really explain it but i thought it was just an interesting an interesting idea that he was actually kind of thinking a little bit outside the box yeah on that instead of just giving lip service to the ancient aliens idea which i think he published this in 1989 and he was probably writing it all through the eighties. So that was still, you know, ancient alien stuff. I mean, you made its comeback obviously in the last decade, but then it was like extremely popular. My problem with the ancient aliens, uh, any of the ancient aliens and stuff, ancient aliens material is that it just comes from the materialist viewpoint. It doesn't give any line to like spiritual beings, which, you know, all this stuff that we talk about on our show, I mean, you can say just about any of this stuff, like, you know, Josh and Tim's book, you know, the where the footprints in. Yeah. People are seeing Bigfoot, but the manifestations are not, they, they don't have, it's like, it's like they defy physical reality. Right. There's, right. It's similar to UFOs. They seem to have a physical trace and yet they defy physical reality as we know it. Right. Yeah. Right, and there's still right. room for people to be uh, for people who are more materialist uh, minded in uh, you know just uh, different aspects of psychology. Um, there, you know, if if you don't have to necessarily believe in all the woo, but you know, every night we go to sleep and see these entire different worlds uh, that 
can profoundly impact us. So, you know, whatever that is, it could just be, even if you are uh, from that materialist viewpoint, you know, just uh, what's actually in the recesses of our minds and subconscious, collective conscious, things like that. Yeah. And I think that's what, uh, like I said, with Laird, Laird is saying the same thing, you know, like you don't have to look for ancient aliens. The, the, these people were, they were interacting with something that is a lot like the the Bigfoot thing that we see or the UFO, you know, this, this stuff that is, that seems to come here from somewhere else. It manifests in a s- semi-physical way and has physical effects and leaves physical traces, but isn't totally physical, can vanish without a trace, you know, in front of your eyes. Um, and some of these ancient peoples were talking about being taught or speaking to or interacting with these beings and they have depictions of them and, you know, they still make masks of them today. And, uh, you know, ancient alien people will latch onto that and say, well, look, these are aliens. But I mean, yeah, what is an alien really? I mean, is it, is a trans-dimensional being basically an alien to earth? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, uh, not, it's not a nuts, nuts and bolts thing like flying here from some other world in our universe though. But I don't know. Um, I do, like I said before, Kyle and I kind of like the, you know, we like the idea that there were ancient advanced civilizations that may have been doing some of this stuff. Yeah. That the ancient aliens people attribute to aliens. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, what is Giorgio always pointing out? They were flesh and blood entities. Well, yeah, they were people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I never read this book. Is this like, when, how did you all encounter this? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I can't remember where I first came across it, but uh, I remember when I was when I first started reading it, it was blowing my mind. I mean, it, the whole thing was blowing my mind. I was aware of yeah. Sitchin at the time, and I did recognize some of his work in there. Uh, but like, I mean, he literally covers everything. Yeah. He goes through all of history essentially. Yeah, I mean. Just any source of conf- conflict. I mean, he covers communism. He covers the road, like the the round table, Cecil Rhodes round table. So we're even getting into like cancel like on foreign relations, yeah, like uh, CFR, yeah. you know, the Carol the Carol Quigley stuff. Um, you know, he gets he gets into all that. So it's just like it's 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 basically one guy's unified field conspiracy theory. That's right. <laughs> but at the at the end of it, there is some kind of like alien intelligence that is yeah yeah that's that's his idea that that is in control well yeah, yes he's basically yeah he's basically saying that it seems as though throughout all of history humanity has been that the conflicts that we see throughout history have been in some ways a product of a control mechanism set in place by something he calls the custodians he he's like i don't know what they are uh, you know, and he, and he yeah. doesn't want to call them aliens. Cause he, you know, and I found that interesting because he's like, look, you know, whether they're aliens or not, I, he doesn't really know. So he's like, let's just call them the custodians, the people who well, are, are, yeah. yeah. Who are running the Gnostic sex really have yeah, that, yeah. that view. Yes. And it is, there's, there's the, like the archons, right. They're kind of, yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're manipulating in the background all the time. And this is why, you know, and I found it interesting, too, because you can kind of when we have this joke uh, in our that we've got a discord chat and now we're always telling each other, you know, that sounds like custodial bullshit right there. It's like, you know, anytime you see some aspect of control, some kind of control mechanism operating in the background, making everybody fight each other all the time instead of getting stuff done. 
that's custodial BS, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whoever basically, those people are. <laughs> basically, he takes it to the two Sumerian gods or Babylonian gods. What was it Inki and, and Ea? And Enlil. Enlil, yeah. Yeah, and I forget which is which, but Inky's one of the... Enki's the, the cool one who liked people yeah. but is demonized throughout the rest of history. And he started the Brotherhood of the of the of the Snake. Yeah, Brotherhood of the which, Serpent. That sounds is, that sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, doesn't that sound <laughs> a little familiar there? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so he so so he starts that, and it's like that is like kind of what what Bramley terms the idea of like the custodial religion, which is set up by the custodians to control mankind. Yeah. And this idea of like the maverick religion which is like something that breaks away. And uh, Inky is, um, is usually in charge of that. He's usually depicted as like the serpent in the garden. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so we're getting into things that are kind of like, I guess stuff that like, you know, Luciferian, yeah, Luciferian stuff, you know, like uh, I guess like Albert Pike, Manly P Hall, I guess would have, would have written about. And yeah, Hall definitely. So, so, but so the the Maverick religions, you know, don't stay Maverick very long. They get they get co opted, yep. you know, by so like you know Buddha was 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 a Maverick religion, and Jesus started a Maverick religion, and but they all eventually get co opted by the custodians, and that you know, and the the religions, and then first religions, and then secret societies. Once religion doesn't really work anymore, are set up to essentially prolong human conflict and keep us fighting with each other. Right. That, that they are the, um, the intermediaries between the custodial powers and the, yeah. the human yeah. interface on the planet. So right. the, the big religions or even, you know, not even the big ones now, but just these ancient big religions, ones that are completely gone now, uh, that started gigantic empires. And then, you know, you, you keep coming up into the present where you have secret societies and some of these, are he, these are all part of what he called the corrupted brotherhood because mm-hmm. Enki initially started the brotherhood of the serpent in order to inject the maverick teachings the real what what's really going on into humanity in a secret way but that got corrupted soon after it was started and now it's used as a custodial tool uh, so it it sounds well basically that concept is the the white versus the black lodge right and this sounds like it was kind of like the um, the morning of the magicians for Generation X. Like it kind of gives this uh, expose on like greatest hits of conspiracy and occult <laughs> secret societies, all this stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, with UFOs added in. <laughs> yeah. Right, just toss in some aliens. In. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds cool. I'd like to I'd like to check it out. I love I never, the I love the, I love the ancient stuff. You know, even if he's completely wrong about the custodians and everything that's going on, all of the ancient looking at the different ancient civilizations was fantastic. It was a great overview of certain of certain aspects of it all the way up to, you know, like you said, uh, Adam, up to, you know, St. Germain and just like he goes through a lot of anomalous topics. And man, you're right that the the plagues stuff was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's compelling. Yeah, I think we ended our we did seven parts, but I think we ended I didn't read much out of the second half of the book, which was mostly modern uh, history, because our podcast is focused on ancient stuff. So we went through a lot of the first half of the book with all the ancient stuff, and we got up to, 
I think we got up to St. Germain and kind of stopped. I was like, we're done. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's too recent. Let's let's move on to something else. Yeah, I mean, he's like, it's, you know, he covers the Kennedy assassination. I yep. mean, it's, it's, it's like everything. And then he gets into this chapter here. He's got about modern Ezekiel's quote unquote, where he talks about alien abduction. He, and he, he talks about the Andreasen affair, which is an interesting one. If you've ever looked at that, a lot of religious image imagery in that, um, in that particular alien contact case. Yeah. He points out that throughout the ages, you see these same kind of encounters, uh, that have these same imagery, you know, and he ascribes that to custodians messing with people and starting up trends or causing conflict or, you know, you know, like, let's pick this guy and turn him into some prophet and send him off to this place to say all this stuff. And it's going to start this huge war, you know, and it's he points out that the imagery is the same across history. Now that that's his interpretation. The oh, there could be many other reasons why the imagery might be the same. Um, you know, it may not be necessarily purposeful for aspects of control, but he does have a compelling idea in some cases. And, and there's, there's other things that I've heard since I've read this book, you know, I, I've heard ideas about like, you know, entities that like to cause warfare. They like to cause conflict because yep. they essentially can feed off the negativity. Yeah. And some of this idea of like the power of blood and they can feed off of that. And, you know, I've, I've, I've definitely have heard those ideas, uh, the kind of like the, the, um, I guess the supernatural parasite kind of, yeah, kind of thought you know, <laughs> and that and that doesn't that doesn't actually conflict with what he was saying because he he makes yeah. it clear that he's like, look, I don't know what these custodians are trying to do, except they want to keep us in conflict all the time because that's a good way to control. Yeah, and he he does talk a lot about uh, spirituality in the yeah. book, and you know, one of the things one of the one of our criticisms was it seems like it sort of comes across like he's got spirituality all figured out. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things. Right. But but the point is is that he's he's talking about spirituality and that the custodians are trying to suppress the spiritual knowledge in mankind so that we don't so that we remain ignorant of our higher selves and all this. So there is like a there's a spiritual component to it and he's not necessarily saying these beings are all flesh and blood because in some like in the very beginning parts he's talking about how they you know it's the i guess the sitchin idea that they are they are spiritual beings that are fully aware of their their ability to you know like actually exist in the spirit realm so they can kind of pick you know they can, they can move basically in live and, forever yeah yeah live forever move in and out of bodies and but you know, it's so it's a little bit of both. It's not all materialist aliens and UFO stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it essentially just sounds like that, you know, white versus black lodge kind of thing that like Alan Greenfield talks about that comes from PB Randolph and Blavatsky and those kind of ideas, which is crazy because those ideas have influenced the like Christian conspiracy world so much and it's really from an ultimately occult source yeah yeah which is kind of like we mentioned um david metcalf and his his talk 
um, that's kind of very similar to what you know the, the, these these gas agent grimoires and then you know it's all like <laughs> a culty kind of stuff but it's like it has this christian bent to it and we've there, there's yeah there's some interesting things there's some interesting things around all that yeah i think that the you know the battle between good and evil is just it's in everything you know you can't avoid it it's there's whatever you think about good and evil Whatever, however you define good and or evil, it's you see it throughout all of history. People are talking about it and that there seems to be these two warring factions. And I think that's kind of what Bramley was getting at in that was that. Uh, but in his book, the good guys are all, always losing uh, all the time. They're yeah. Always, Man. yeah. It's it's a sort of a grim thing that he's saying. He's like, look, you know, we're. <laughs> We're, control, we're totally owned and controlled by these custodians and we've been fighting each other all the time because that's how they want it, you know, and that the the influence of the uh, remnants of the uncorrupted brotherhood are few and far between and only appear as tiny blips in, in history. And then every once in a while, someone will show up like the Buddha or Jesus and try to re-inject the teachings of Enki and the real spirituality and how to really achieve... Uh, spiritual enlightenment back into the world, and then it almost completely gets co-opted and corrupted and changed and turned against everybody. And it's a pretty dark picture that he paints. Yeah, he's a he's a happy guy. Yeah, yeah, real happy guy. <laughs> yeah, he he ends the book. Uh, I found this interesting. I remember he says, "Good luck and happy sleuthing." Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, the the final chapter I did read on this on the show because he was basically like, "Here's my advice to anybody who wants to continue this kind of research. Look into this thing. I didn't have a chance to look into this, or I looked into this and there was so much here that I just couldn't couldn't do it." So he, he kind of gives a couple of places for people to, a couple of roads for people to go down. I thought that was interesting. I wonder if any, anybody's taken him up on it. I'm, I'm sure someone has since then. Yeah. It's an interesting book. It's it's obscure, but it's it's interesting. So you don't you don't buy it? You don't think we're owned by custodians? <laughs> uh not necessarily. I think there may be something there may be something to all that. I mean, I, I definitely think that there are I, I, I do think that there are um I always use this word, but I always use the word entities and because you know I don't know really what they are, but yeah. I think I do think that there's an influence on history, possibly. Yeah. Especially when you get into like, you know, I mean, nineteenth century with cultism and you know, like what are people really contacting sometimes? Yeah. It's it's yeah. a little like I'm not one of these that are just like Oh, everything's demons, and you know I'm not one of these guys. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. But I do still think that, like you know, you just kind of you don't know really what you're messing with sometimes. And there's some people that are really confident that they know, but you know, yeah, you just you can never be too never be too sure what's really listening on the <laughs> other right. end. That's, that's just right. kind of my personal opinion. Yeah, that's how I feel about it too. Um, with the channeling or the you know the contacting these entities, I'm just like, well, you know. I, I don't doubt that you are contacting something, like, but what exactly it is and what its motives are is my, that's where I have questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think the same thing as far as um, I'm definitely not a materialist. I think there might be some kind of influence of other things on human history and people. 
Um, but also like, uh, there's a lot of utility in convincing people that you're on either side of that cosmic battle, yeah. you know, um, it either adds to your, um, ability to terrorize them, uh, being on, you know, with the, on the bad side or, you know, you, you get, uh, followers and adherents when they think that you're on the good side of it. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's a lot of it too. And like, no matter if there is some kind of ultimate, um, if there is some kind of ultimate, uh, uh, pyramid of archons or something like that, <laughs> like there's a lot of utility at the lower levels and like making people think that they're a part of some kind of hierarchy like that. That's true. Which, which side are you guys on? <laughs> Great white brotherhood. Inky or Enlil? Which yeah. one is Pick it, one. fellas? <laughs> the Great you, White Brotherhood. You know who you're talking battle to. Battle with the Black Lodge. <laughs> yes. Yes. The Black yeah. Lodge. All right. I'll, I'll I'll err on the side of the side of good anytime. Right? <laughs> on both sides of the veil. Yeah. Gotta add that in too. Yeah. Well, I think we're getting close to the end. I don't know what what time we got here. Yeah, we've been we've been on there for a while. Yeah, we have. Well, I wanted great, to, I great wanted, talk, guys. Yeah, I did want to talk some cryptids, but uh, maybe we'll have to get to that some you know some future time. Yeah, I mean, I would just say to everybody, definitely check out uh, Josh and Tim's book. Yeah. It's one of the most fascinating books on cryptids I've encountered in a long time. Yeah, in part two, I think they said they're supposed to be coming out in December. Oh yeah, yeah, awesome, sweet. You you guys uh, you guys believe in cryptids? <laughs> I think it's some kind of weird um, spiritual thing. Um, there might be some strange animals too, but I think the majority of it is like kind of like a you know what they talk about, like a, a, a um, it's it's woods poltergeist. Yeah. yeah. The, the reference, the the reason why they call the book that where the footprints is end is because you have cases of people seeing the the footprints of Bigfoot or whatever. And, and then all of stop. a sudden it yeah. just stops. Yep. So yeah. Why does that happen? Um, and then the cases that you especially the cases that are, that have like this element of real high strangeness. Yep. Um, there's 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 kind of a, of a difference between Bigfoot encounters in the West as opposed to Bigfoot encounters in the East. The further East you go, the more weird they get. And but there's there's weirdness in the West too. Yeah. But you know when you're dealing with something something that is such a and Ritter talks about this a lot when you're dealing with something that is such a large animal that is like more massive than a human being and like just the sheer caloric intake it would have to have right to survive yeah it's a megafauna and when you when you get to i mean maybe it can survive in the forests of the northwest but when you get to someplace like here in tennessee or where you guys are yeah like how you know how's it what is it eating where you know you know like you would see it like you know it's just maybe it's like a whale it eats plankton yeah. you know a whale eats, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. eats the tiniest thing in the ocean and it's the biggest thing there out there that we know about <laughs> yeah. well i was just gonna say maybe occasionally it leaves behind some giant bones yeah just saying. Yeah. yeah there you go <laughs> well i mean well, if you if, yeah. if you want to go to the uh bigfoot the expedition bigfoot museum in 
uh, Blue Ridge, Georgia, they do have a giant Bigfoot turd. Hey, so, Bigfoot must, or, must have been what is it something. called? Cryptozoological scatology. <laughs> 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 but my my thing that makes me think it's like weirder is the. Uh, especially the, uh, but like conjuration, like it responds to conjuration, like Tim, all these practices Tim does. I mean, it's, it's like a, a, a weird, uh, you know, con conjuration of it. And, and what a lot of secular, you know, I guess secular nuts and bolts, Bigfoot people, um, are actually doing, and they're not realizing they actually are doing conjure yeah. work. Conjure work, yeah. And then they call it. And they're call calling it, it forth, yeah. Yeah, they'll call it habituation, but you're like, no, bro, that's you're conjuring it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and the gifting, the gifting stuff. Yes, and, and all that is, spirit, you know, yeah. the, the 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 first book deals with folklore, and so this comparison between, primarily, the comparison is between Bigfoot and fairy encounters yeah encounters with the fae and how that those are very similar and basically uh you know tim renner talks a lot about how you know this there's a motif it's almost like an archetype need that we have in every culture for like a wild man hmm. and that one of the things that he's that he has said many times on his show is that when you get like he looks at he's looked at different accounts from the 19th century and how you know these of course we kind of got to take some of this with a grain of salt but some of these accounts say that you know bigfoot or or they don't describe him as bigfoot yeah, the, the hairy man. ape man yep. was wearing clothes yeah you know and stuff like that and and then the accounts become more that he's you know unclothed he's covered with hair and 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 Tim looks at it almost as if like it's it's the exact opposite of UFOs, right? Like the like we started seeing UFOs and like you know structured craft and space people as soon as we started getting more technologically we got more technologically advanced. They were always a step ahead of us. Yeah. So the the phenomenon showed itself to us like that. With Bigfoot, it's opposite. It's like the more technologically advanced we 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 become the more in need for that wild man motif and the more we see it. Hmm. And there's a, I mentioned expedition Bigfoot where they have the gigantic Bigfoot turd. Uh, <laughs> you know, Tim made a point also that people, when they built that there in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which isn't that far from where I am right now. Oh yeah. They began to see Bigfoot. I've they heard began this. And yeah. to see Bigfoot crossing the road and then, and, and and Tim makes the point that it's the reason why that that happened is because they built, a it's shrine. not just a museum. It's a shrine. Yeah. It's a shrine. Yeah. Hmm. That is very interesting. The wild man thing reminds me of uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Yeah. You know, right. Mm -hmm. There's right. this wild man that's out in the woods who's huge yeah. and you know, that's one of the strong. oldest parts, oldest versions of that story. Yeah. 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 He has to be civilized to defeat, the custodians. That's right. <laughs> yes, the custodians always causing problems. <laughs> All right, guys, this was a fascinating chat. Thanks so much yeah, for coming absolutely, on the show. Man. We had awesome. fun. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah, man. Thank you. Wish you luck to... with the conference. Give all yes. the give all the data. 
Where, where can people find you? Where can people sign up to the conference? And we'll put some of this in the show notes too. All right. The conference, go to strangerealitiesconference.com. Tickets are $20. That is September 25th, 26th, and 27th online. And Conspiranormal, you can find at conspiranormal.com. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Bye. For the uh, final segment of the final segment, <laughs> and that was our conversation with the conspiracy normal guys, Adam and Serfiel. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. Yep. And uh, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be an interesting conference. It does, and always an interesting conversation with those guys too. Uh, we ranged over many topics, so I really like the uh, the whole, you know, like. <clears throat> in some ways, this search for this lost civilization is kind of a spiritual thing. Uh, that was cool. Yep. Kyle, I, Kyle's not buying I'm it. buying it. No, <laughs> I, it is. It is. Because it's, it's that question, you know, where did we come from? Yeah. Who are we? What are we and, doing? And uh, for, you know, a non-materialist reductionist, that is a spiritual question. Yeah. That's right. <sighs> but, you know. How do we build pyramids? <laughs> there are material questions in there. You know what I realized we didn't hit them with is the ch- the, the pimpanzee. No. We could have blown I thought about their that. minds with yeah. the pimpanzee. <laughs> yeah. I think about that stuff all the time now. <laughs> pimpanzee. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun conversation. What else you got? Well, I got a whole bunch of stuff, but I think we'll save it for like a bonus episode. Yeah, we need to do it. Yeah. We got your uh, one-up box, History Shift. That's right. It will happen. Yeah. We got one-up box, and we got a whole bunch of emails and lots of other listener communications and just stuff we... uh, Kyle's got stories, stuff we need to go through that we just haven't had a chance to because we've had all these guests and uh, swap casts. So um, I think we're just going to do a bonus episode this week. That's what I think. Yeah. We'll give it a shot. Yeah. No promises, but <laughs> we're probably going to do it. <laughs> I feel like now maybe I shouldn't have said anything just in <laughs> case late. some catastrophic thing happens and we can't do it. But yeah. Zero edits. <laughs> Unless you say something I don't like. <laughs> and then I'm going to cut it out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going to cut that part out. <laughs> All right, guys, you can get a hold of us, brothers of the serpent at gmail.com. Go to the website, brothersoftheserpent.com. Check out the encyclopedia and the glossary and the snake skins there, which is our merchandise store. Uh, join the pyramid scheme, which is supporting the show and sending us straight to pyramids, hopefully, one day. Uh, you can do that through Patreon and PayPal. The links are on the website. Uh, give us reviews wherever you can. And thanks to everybody who has given us reviews and who supports the show. Yes. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you. Uh, share the show wherever you can. Follow us on Twitter at Snake Bros with No Bowels. 
join the Facebook group if you're on Facebook or join the Discord. Uh, that's where we're all hanging out. And Kyle even sometimes appears in there. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's a Kyle sighting. That's what they say in the Discord. <laughs> I had a Kyle sighting today. It does Holy happen shit. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Very inconsistent. That's right. <laughs> but there's a link to the Discord on the website as well. You can find it there as a, the Snake Pit Discord. Just click on the click on the link there and then click on the Join button. And pop right in. Uh, check out the Library of the Servant, which is run by Jeff, who also runs the Discord. So thanks very much to him. The Value for Value system is working great with him. And also with History Shift, Brandon, who makes all of our YouTube videos. So thanks to him. You can follow him on Twitter and on YouTube at History Shift. Uh, check out Pod Doodles. He takes some of our podcasts and turns them into doodling that you can watch while listening to the show. It's really cool. You can follow him on YouTube and on Twitter, Pod Doodles. Uh, thanks to Where Did the Road Go, Uncharted X, Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape, the C-Word, Grimerica, Conspiranormal, of course, and uh, Seven Ages Audio Journal, and Skeptico. Yeah. And check out RandallCarlson.com. That's right. The site is up. The site is up. All right, guys. We love, we love you. you. Always, Always have. Always well. <laughs> Good night, Adamu. Get back to work. <laughs>